This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the Manly Warthog Man Cave. Inside the Melon Law Studio, 50 years of experience, the only official law firm partner of the Florida Gators. Melon Law won't back down. A full-service law office can handle many of your needs besides just the accident business. So give them a holler. Crime prevention. We worry less with crime prevention here in the Warthog Manly Man Cave because we are protected 24-7, 365 by crime prevention, a locally-owned business, wonderful supporters of the show. Contact them at cpss.net and see what they can do for you. And, of course, Maurice T. McDaniel on the mugshots, which um, you all consult rather regularly to see if any of your neighbors have made the, uh, uh, have made the uh, press here, so to speak. So, well, 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 we've got a lot of feedback here recently on what we've been doing uh, with uh, the Word Scott files and how we are basically an investigative arm of journalism, if you will, or the press. We probably right now are doing it better than anyone locally for sure. And I just wanted to highlight uh, some of the things that we've done that perhaps have escaped your attention or have been not referenced overtly in uh, some of the other uh, publications that pick up what we've done. I just wanted to go back and revisit for a moment. Uh, The reason I'm doing this is because you need to support our sponsors because they help make this voice possible. Uh, this show is really not about me. It's about the sponsors, of course, because I want you to patronize them and support them for supporting us. But it's about the voice. And it's um, really uh, something we believe in. And we ask for your help in kind of a forum here to uh, get an exchange of ideas that um, you hopefully can view and examine yourself and make up your own minds about. But as I covered with you a while back, actually as a Friday, uh, when the news broke on Andrew Gillum last week, uh, the Department of Justice indictment of him on federal charges relating to political corruption, the uh, publications and many of the news outlets um, um, counted off the 21 federal counts, uh, among which were beep and, and um, never really broke down how the FBI got to know uh, information on which ultimately these federal counts were made. Uh, 19 of those 21 federal counts are the direct result of information, the Ward Scott files, and of course our great data investigator uh, supplied in the uh, inquiry into um, Mr. Gillum. And the authorities have come to rely on the authenticity of what we give them almost unquestioningly. Um, they, they know that we've got a track record of reliability, of accuracy, and that we know what we're talking about. Every once in a while, I receive a call from somebody who maybe uh, recently, uh, recently uh, received a call about somebody who was basically questioning uh, what we were doing with the jail, which I'm going to get to in a moment. And it became really obvious to me right away. The guy didn't know what he was talking about. I had no clue, um, really speaking out of some half-baked, you know, we know what we're talking about or we don't talk about it. So, and we stay in our lane. I'm not going to go off and talk about stuff that I haven't researched unless I tell you up front, it's an opinion. I am opining. But when I present something to you that we've documented and researched, and often we put this information out on uh, Ward's Hot Bulletin Board for you to see as well, um, then, uh, you know, that's, that's, um, that's the way it is. 
And it's um, something that uh, I just learned from being a research professor, being a writing instructor, studying the very best teachers I could possibly get to put up with me. And I was very fortunate to have a really a great number of great teachers whom I humbly listened to and tried to live up to their standards. Um, it was not something where there was any equality. Uh, it's not something where everybody passed because they could breathe. Uh, you had to earn their respect and it was worth earning because they had had to earn respect from somebody who taught them. <clears throat> In some cases, I was being taught by the teacher of the teacher who had taught me. So I was going back a couple of generations. And these teachers were so good that I remember a story where uh, a young man uh, had had a teacher for a course, but it hadn't been the teacher he really wanted because he wanted this other fellow's opinion, but he never could get it because he couldn't get into the, to the professor's class. So he had to settle on another professor for which he got a grade and for, for whom he wrote papers and on which there were red marks and corrections and this and that. But this gentleman, who is now an attorney in Tampa, by the way, uh, told me that uh, he'd always wanted the opinion of the other professor whose class he couldn't get in. So he got a job mowing that professor's yard. And actually, he was hired by the professor's wife. So uh, he never met the professor until one day uh, when he was mowing the yard. The professor happened to come out on the front porch. And uh, the student, who had never had him as a formal professor, said, hey, uh, Mr. So-and-so, uh, would you please read a, would you mind reading a paper for me that I wrote for another professor that I got a grade on, and, but I'd really like your opinion. And so the gentleman said, of course. So the next time my friend was over mowing the professor's yard, the professor came out with the paper. And not only had the professor, of course, read the student's work, but he had graded the professor who graded the student. And he asked the student, who was this guy? These are the goofiest remarks I've ever seen on a paper. Don't pay any attention to them. Here's what you need to learn. I've never forgotten that story. I've never forgotten that story. That really is what I always tried to do. I tried to make myself uh, um, somehow available to be taught by the best, even if it meant, so to speak, mowing their yard. Um, uh, much of your learning doesn't take place in the classroom. Uh, once upon a time, we had what we call bull sessions. They were late night discussions, usually at one of the local watering holes um, and where we just rapped about anything and everything. And a great deal of learning and teaching went on there. A lot of tips on what to read um, that hadn't been in the curriculum and the formal instruction. So there are two ways to get educated. One is formally with the structure and the other is to go out and just start learning and find the best people you can to learn from. So I'm trying to conduct this show in that tradition. Um, you come to it because hopefully I have done some research for you since we met yesterday, and I'm going to always try to give that to you as we meet on successive days. So when you read these, uh, and there was a um, kind of a pitiful, circuitous uh, editorial in today's Gainesville Sunset, about Gillum that missed the point completely. Uh, the fellow obviously hadn't consulted us or he would have written a heck of a lot better editorial. I read it, bemused by it, thinking, boy, what you don't know would really change what you wrote. But you know, he's not the type of guy evidently that would go seeking information from those who know. Um, that's his fault, that's his loss. But I can tell you that 21 federal counts uh, of wire beep, conspiracy to commit wire beep. Uh, all those things were 19 of them, the result of research done by the Ward Scott files. So uh, having said that, I will uh, uh, let you know that there's also some work going on that's being looked at now um, by, uh, we, it, Politico picked it up 
and we fed this. And when I say we, I always include, of course, the, my great investigator, whom you heard last week, uh, talk occasionally. He does come on. We don't usually show him, but you hear him. Um, we fed this uh, to uh, Politico, and Politico has picked up on it. And what we've done, once again, is just do some research that uh, anybody could do if they were so inclined to do it. And, and uh, questions about Corrine Brown's return. I shared that with you, I, you know, maybe yesterday or the day before, that um, in doing some research on her and the statutes which govern voter elig uh, candidate eligibility, we found perhaps, you know, now this depends on, once again, who's bore at the cabbage, uh, we found perhaps here a situation where uh, she shouldn't be, she's not qualified. So Corrine Brown has, um, now since we fed this over to Politico, Politico has picked up on it. Politico almost always picks up on what we feed them. Uh, Gainesville Sunset doesn't. Um, so here's the article. I'll just read it very quickly to you. It's in a blog from Politico. It says, uh, former re Representative Corrine Brown jumped into the race for Florida's 10th congressional district at the last moment, but there are unresolved issues with her qualification for the ballot. Now, the reason Politico knows there are unresolved issues is because we told them. <clears throat> and uh, um, so Politico goes into a legal history. Uh, Brown, of course, as you know, uh, was a longtime member of Congress uh, who was defeated in the 2016 primary by Al Lawson after her district was uh, reconfigured. And then she was convicted a year later in this charity B case. And that uh, conviction was ultimately thrown out by an appeals court, but ahead of a new trial, she didn't want to go through a new trial. It was expensive. She didn't have the cheese to do it. Uh, she wanted that doggone retirement, I can guarantee you. Ahead of a new trial, she reached a plea deal uh, that resulted in her admitting guilt to just one charge. And uh, that deal also requires her to pay more than $62,000 in restitution. So we pointed out that one of the ironies here is that uh, because she's running uh, for, for this office, uh, federal office, um, uh, this, uh, this anyway, constitution doesn't prevent her from running, uh, but uh, our state rules here. Uh, you know, we don't have felonies running unless they have paid their restitution. So, um, I mean, they, uh, she, she can't vote for herself. I'm sorry, I misspoke. She can't vote for herself. So she can actually run for office, uh, provided everything is within the certain limits of the statute, um, but, but she can't vote for herself. Now, uh, the question has come up, and I have to give this credit totally to our data investigator, how long is 365 days? Well, the reason this question has come up and the reason it's posed that way by Politico is as follows. After Brown's initial conviction, she was dropped from Florida's voter rolls. And that's going to be a story in a minute I'm going to expand on. How do you get purged from the rolls? Um, Everybody wants to pass the buck on that. I heard somebody uh, call me last night who at, said, oh, well, uh, you know, it's not the, 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 the supervisor elections job to purge you from the rolls. Um, well, whose job is it? I mean, you know, how, does this, how does this keep falling through the cracks? So it's left to the civilians, I guess, the public like us. Well, we're the news uh, press, if you will. Um, um, she was dropped from the rolls, but the Duval County voter rolls show that she registered to vote again. Now, here's the, here's the, here's the nitty gritty. She registered to vote again in November 2021. Now, now why is that important? Uh, it's important because Brown signed a required candidate oath on June 14 that said she had been a registered member of the Democratic Party for 365 days before qualifying, before qualifying. 
Now, when uh, the spokesperson for the Department of State, Mallory Morgan, was asked about this, uh, she gave the answer we're learning uh, is often given. She gave it in an email, quote, when a candidate swears or affirms to the contents of their oath, the Florida Division of Elections accepts the candidate's oath as provided to their office by the candidate. The Division of Elections neither confirms nor denies the eligibility of a candidate to run for office based on the contents of their oath. <clears throat> well, whose job is it? Whose job is it? Is it our job to go around and, hey, we just got a new program that's going to expand our ability to find these things? Why don't these people use this program? Well, it's because the statutes don't make them do it. Now, the, the interesting thing about this is I was told by somebody recently that the problem lies in the information that's fed to the supervisor of elections offices by the places where these uh, voter uh, uh, registrations are derived, like the health department and uh, um, the clerks of the court. And that's how they find out if somebody's dead who's still on the rolls. Well, what if that situation is flawed, which is clear the, the case in going into the jail with these fellows that are now being uh, found guilty? Now, the, the fellows in the jail did not go to the supervisor. The supervisor came to them. And I was told by somebody who thinks they know, which they, of course, don't, that all the supervisors in all over the state do this. No, they don't. We've checked it out. They don't do that. They don't do that. <clears throat> Some of them, if they do go, don't go into the jail. They leave the information at the, so to speak, front desk of the jail. <clears throat> Someone else takes it into the jail. Furthermore, the remarkable thing about when T.J. Pichet went into the jail, there was a COVID outbreak. And we have another one right now, but P.J. Pichet went into the Alachua County Jail during a COVID outbreak. So the Division of Elections neither confirms nor denies the eligibility of a candidate to run for office, just takes their word for it. So a Brown's campaign manager, who is Corey Bradford, was asked about whether Brown met the requirements of the candidate oath. And guess what? He hasn't responded to the question. He also, according to Politico, did not answer questions on whether Brown should remain eligible to vote since the former congresswoman is paying off restitution as part of her plea deal with federal authorities. Because as we know, Florida's voting laws, we've already mentioned this, and they've picked up on this, uh, concerning people with felony convictions requires that those individuals must pay off all fees, fines, and restitution before becoming eligible to vote. <clears throat> well, 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 well. The only thing I'm really, the point I'm making here is that Politico wouldn't know this. We didn't tell them. It's as simple as that. They wouldn't know it if we didn't tell them. Now, the other thing that's very interesting is that these fellows are now down at the, uh, the, the uh, in front of the judge now, and there have been two more voter B plea deals as of yesterday. So before it's over, we think that we'll have 100, at least 100 convictions. Just on research that our research team has done. We'll have over 100 convictions. Now, these include sex offenders. 
And nobody, it seems, keeps track of them at all. And they pretty much can go to the polls. And they have never had their uh, right to vote restored because they can't pay back. There's no restitution they can pay. Now, this is uh, uh, really the nitty gritty of uh, where we are with this uh, uh, kind of research that we're doing. There's another story <clears throat> that I want to pass along to you uh, that is um, written by a reporter in Lake County whom we have been communicating with, our research team. And because there is a character there in uh, Lake County who is um, the supervisor of elections by the name of Alan Hayes that has been... Um, um, uh, we, we are, uh, you know, uh, no Doug, I'm quoting Politico. I'm not quoting either long, quoting Politico. Um, there is a, a supervisor of elections named Alan Hayes, who has not been very eager to look into the information we've sent him. And now we didn't know this was coming. I thought this was interesting. And it's sent along to us by a... Uh, a uh, uh, reporter, the Republican, Florida Republican Executive Committee of Lake County, uh, uh, the Lake County Republican Executive Committee, are you ready for this? Passed a unanimous motion that an REC resolution be drafted and submitted to Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and Florida Secretary of State requesting that Lake County Supervisor of Elections, Alan Hayes, be removed from office on the basis of his political bias toward the Republican Party and voters who have expressed concerns over the legitimacy of the 2020 presidential election. Now, that is really interesting. Um, trying to keep a house in order should occur on both sides of the aisle is the way I read that. And that is coming uh, from a reporter in, uh, in um, and, and Jennifer Cabrera at Lotcher Chronicle also has a copy of this, is coming out of that area down there that uh, we have, um, um, we know that Doug, Doug is saying campaign laws allowed, we've covered that. Yes, we know that. We know that. Um, but Doug, you're not getting the point. They have to register within a certain amount of time to run. That's the question. Okay, I don't think he's getting the point anyway. So um, uh, that, that's the point. That's the, the devil's in the details here. Yes, we know you can run for office as a convicted felon, but you can't vote for yourself. But you can't, you have to become qualified for office. And there is a rule that has a time limit within which you must qualify it's the same sort of thing. It's tailor-made by charters and things. Uh, when must you, you know, Dion, uh, when, what, you know, I'm not going to talk about her, but I'm going to talk about here locally. Uh, when did you qualify to run for the county commission? Uh, when did you, you know, qualifying closes, you know, and qualifying starts. So you, you, here's, a, here's a, evidently, we don't know yet, is somebody who qualified and didn't qualify within the beginning and the ending time set, uh, frame. That's the issue. Didn't qualify within the beginning and ending time frame. Um, so um, <clears throat> that is a nitty gritty deal. Now, you know, there's all sorts of little miscues that be, can be had. I mean, people don't understand this stuff. You wait till the single member district stuff comes along. The easiest way for right now to understand the single member district issue, one of the easiest ways in Alachua County, is the way it's set up right now with everybody being able to vote for everybody, notwithstanding what district the person is from, is the way the Electoral College works. The Electoral College gets votes based upon population, does it not? Correct me if I'm wrong. It gets votes based upon population. So the bigger states get more votes in electoral college. 
And so you want to win those particular states where there's all those electoral votes. So it's possible to win the popular vote, but lose the electoral college or vice versa. It's possible to, to uh, lose the popular vote, but win the electoral college, vice versa, however you want to say that. That's the way it works in Gainesville. Only always the greatest number of, just think of the system right now in Alachua County as an electoral college. The greatest number of votes come from Gainesville. Okay? Fewer votes come from the rural area. So the urban area where all the population is, is doing all the voting. And the way it's set up now without single member districts, it's clear that the population density centers will run the county. And the areas outside the population centers will not have as great a voice under the current configuration. Um, and Tim's just signing in here. Maybe he has something to contribute, which is fine. Um, um, you know, we'll, we'll do that as well. In fact, if we want to, Tim, we'll open up the phone line in a minute after the bottom of the hour break. And uh, maybe I can get production to do that. I think we've got the phone line going. And I'd be interested in your comments on this because uh, we've been looking into this. And Doug, you might call. Doug is watching from, my God, the man doesn't have a life. Doug Jones, if you see it on Facebook chat, is actually watching us from the West Coast of the United States of America. Um, so, oh, I see, I see, Ray. I see what you're saying, Doug. I got you, brother. Okay, well, if you want us to open up, we'll open up the phone lines. Anybody who wants to call in can call in uh, and talk about this because it's pretty interesting. And we're trying to look down into, as I say, the nitty gritty of all this. Now, uh, also, we have gotten a reply. Let me just see if I can find it here from the supervisor of elections because we ask uh, what is going on uh, with this issue um, uh, about um, uh, um, Kramer not wanting to touch us with a 10-foot pole and kicking it back to uh, Kim Barton, who we think is really trying to, to, to do what she can now. We have an email here. It's public record. It's, it's a, uh, uh, you know, uh, um, we asked about where the status was and she's replied, I'm continuing my investigation and will submit my findings to the appropriate entity in the proper format uh, soon as she has completed her investigation, uh, supported by an affidavit uh, uh, asserting that there's probable cause to believe a crime has been committed. So she has really... Uh, it looks as if, from our end of the, of the story here, that Kim Barton has been listening and wanting to, you know, you, you always take a student and give the student the benefit of the doubt. That doesn't mean you're easy on them. That means you really tell them, look, you've got a lot of room for improvement. You have the ability. You know, when you stop caring about the student, that's bad. When you stop criticizing the student or trying to help the student, what you've then decided is that student is not capable of getting any better. So when you are getting attention, when you're getting criticism, when you're getting ways to improve and you do it, man, that impresses the teacher. I mean, that really does. So right now, and it's ironic that Brian Kramer was one of my students, as you know, um, he's not really much interested in, in uh, it, it, I'm using this metaphor, of course, of learning much more. He wants to get out from under it. But Kim seems to be wanting to learn. So um, let's, take a, let's take a break. And, and let me just, uh, on the break, I'll ask uh, if uh, production, we don't want to open a phone line up for a minute. We'll be right back at the bottom of the hour. And we thank all those great people who shoot DTR and style cuts and, and um, uh, R&R construction and on the spot. You know, uh, we'd like to have a dozen more. So you know anybody out there who's got some courage and really wants to help us save America, tell them to pile on. Be right back after crime prevention. I mentioned them. Right back. Ward Scott Files in a moment. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law. 
the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Maurice T. McDaniel, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.awardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. A warthog. He's gonna come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me. Help. Help. All right. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome back to the Ward Scott Files. Professor Warthog Ward Scott here in the uh, manly Warthog Madden Cave. Uh, we have uh, opened up the phone line and our number we just put on the chat is uh, 352-707-9101. If you want to have a conversation with us, I see a couple people here. Mike, Tim Martin, I'm interested in what he's thinking. Uh, some of you, Doug Jones is watching God Bless His Soul from the West Coast right now. And um, he's a former commissioner in Archer. So been a good, long time friend. Um, we've got the phone line open. If you call in, what you'll hear is Evan pick up the line. He'll put you in a hole for a second and then we'll patch you in. So um, just to give you a, uh, a summary of what we've been talking about, we've been talking about how the Word Scott Files seems to be doing the heavy lifting on some of the inquiries into the idiosyncratic behaviors of voting, uh, which have a lot of wrinkles to it that uh, really uh, people just sort of gloss over and move on down the line. And it's the fundamental problem, as I see it right now, is that... Um, um, the agencies that are in charge of uh, voter role integrity are reactive rather than proactive. And uh, they don't go looking. Uh, and so what happens is the vote gets uh, cast and it gets counted. And it's really uh, kind of uh, impossible to take it back. So uh, hello, Tim. As he as he on, hey Tim. Hey, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Oh, well, you're looking like you're on the move and uh, got time for us. So, good morning, sir. I am. Well, I didn't want to uh, take up a phone line thinking that uh, maybe I could call in this way and somebody else could call in on the phone. Okay. So you were talking about single member districts. Is, is that right? I caught the tail end. Sorry, I'm late to class, uh, but I do have a note from my doctor. <laughs> no, what I was saying, I was comparing, and it wasn't uh, my observation, it was contributed to me by a member of the research team that the way it functions right now, Tim, is much like the Electoral College in that the greater population gets the greater influence. It's actually a, 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 a count in Electoral College. In our setup, it's basically the urban core of Gainesville. Even a charter review committee is Gainesville-centric. So... I know your observations were made yesterday during or whenever you had uh, Ramy Glenn sworn in. So right, right. that was the that was the comparison I was making, Tim, that that's another way to think about it. So I'm, I'm willing I want to hear what you have to say about that. <clears throat> yeah. Um, well, the Electoral College actually uh, negates the population centers having more of a weight than the non-rural. So if, for instance, in the United States, if we did not have a an electoral college, the New Yorks and the Californias would be electing the president every time. The electoral co college actually balances that out. 
So the single member districts would actually prevent the population center from doing any more harm. And they actually, the single member districts would act more like an electoral college. Well, I had it backwards, didn't I? And I thank you for correcting me. I had it backwards. Essentially, I had the right comparison. I just had it backwards. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So the single member districts, uh, you know, ideally Gainesville would have one, uh, you know, district representative and then the, the, the donut of the county, the, the rest, the rural area would have, uh, you know, four quarters, each would have a quarter. So we, the rural area would have four and Gainesville would have just one. Uh, now I have no delusions of grandeur that the uh, county would actually divide it up that way. I'm sure Gainesville will be split into five, you know, pieces of the pie and uh, they would all have influence in every district because they want to try to still hold on to their power and negate uh, the voices of the rural parts of the community. And I, I know we've talked sidebar a little bit and you've mentioned that this becomes really kind of a rural versus urban. Uh, and I tend to agree with you on that. Well, we're talking with Tim Martin, who is an expert really in so many things about government models. Not only is he a Newberry City Commissioner, but he's also been spearheading the Spring County uh, movement, which is sort of on the side right now while we wait to see how this single member district thing turns out. And uh, we know that there's a lot of dissatisfaction with the current model, but we've never been able to get it to the people for their input until now. And we had to go to Tallahassee to do it. Um, Tim understands these things really, really well. Tim, you, you, you noted something a moment ago that I think escapes most people. Let's assume uh, that single member districts passes. The commissioners still carve up the districts, right? That's correct. So even though we get over the finish line, we're not really over the finish line. Uh, you know, theoretically, uh, the district uh, would be you know, drawn. I would think that just out of sheer... Uh, commonality, they'll probably just go with the current districts, but that's not a guarantee. Uh, so it could still be up for discussion. Theoretically, I guess they could still kind of kick the can down the road by dragging their feet about drawing the maps. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's just still unanswered questions, really, I guess, is the answer. Well, I'm just looking at the chat line to see if there are any questions coming in. And also, we do have an incoming sideline uh call and i don't let me see if i can pick that up i'm doing a keep talking tim i'm looking to see what i can get going here um oh it's doug yeah Um, yeah well um just a little bit of i guess a little bit of history for folks that don't know the single member districts was brought forth by uh, chuck clemens it went through three committee stops in tallahassee uh all three of the committee stops uh were done before it actually goes to the floor so that's kind of a little bit of the process and two of the committees uh it basically got uh, unanimous bipartisan support. Uh, But that third committee stop, really right before it goes to the floor, uh, I'm sorry, uh, my phone battery's dying. Uh Right before it it goes to the floor, the third committee stop got a little bit heated. I was at the first, or I'm sorry, I was at the second and third stop uh, there in Tallahassee. So then it went over to the Senate, kind of got wrapped up with all the other Uh, local bills so they got passed kind of as a package and the governor actually just signed hr 1493 i think is the number uh i think the week before last maybe the end of last week uh at the latest Uh, so it will be on the november ballot along with a lot of other big races uh and we'll have to just kind of see what what dynamics kind of play out in november well another thing will be an education component of this because uh, you and I have talked about this. There's so little understanding by people about any kind of governance model they got. It's amazing to me when you stop somebody and they say, well, I thought we already had it or what are you talking about? Or, you know, yeah. so it's really a mountain to climb then. Combine that with the fact that the county, albeit they're limited now by once again, um, uh, a muzzle put on them by Tallahassee saying you can't use public funds to argue against a public referendum. Um, yeah which is a biggie because they, they would have done that in a heartbeat. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. And I'm going to pre, pre-apologize if my battery goes dead, okay? I, and 
I do not have a charger here in the in my 04 GMC pickup truck. So well, you can get one. You can plug it into your cigarette lighter, my man. <laughs> I, I know. I have. I have the. I have the the lighter unit. I just don't have a wire for some reason. I'm not. I'm not sure what. I, I don't know. It's well, we a Monday gotta... morning. It's a Monday morning here on Wednesday. I guess I'm not. Sure. <laughs> we got Doug Jones on the line. So if you want to stay on till your battery fails, uh, Tim, we can accommodate it. Hey, Doug, right. how are you, sir? Hey, good morning, everybody. Yeah, you're out on the West Coast, man. What time is it out there? Uh, looks like it's uh, about quarter to seven currently. <laughs> well, we got Tim Martin on his phone, which it may fail, he says, because he hasn't charged his battery. And we got you on our call-in line. So Doug is a former uh, Archer City Commissioner, Tim. And, um, yeah, and, I know uh, Doug. Yeah, knows his way around the data world really, really well. So, Doug, good to hear from you. What's on your mind, sir? Well, I was just listening to the topics this morning, and um, uh, specifically the last one that you talked that you were talking about. I think before Tim got on on the call regarding the uh, REC requesting the removal of an SOE from Lake County. Um, that type of move needs to happen around the country, where we've got activist SOEs that are looking the other way. Well. We are really interested in how many ripples, how far out the ripples go in the pond from the rock we dropped in here, if you will. Um, that's, you know, it's the old note on, in, in the bottle, how, you know, how, far, how many islands does it get to? So, um, then, yeah, we're watching that. We, we, the fact that we are being picked up, what we're doing is being picked up by uh, and some other, I can't really talk about it right now, but there's some other national publications that are coming to town uh, next week to talk to our, um, you know, members of our research team about what we're doing. So we're getting, we've been in Breitbart, we've been in New York Times, we've been in different places. So, um, you know, it's interesting. I don't know how far it's going to go, but it's certainly going quite rapidly around this state. Wouldn't you say, Tim? Well, it is. It definitely is. And I want to remind everybody, just having the conversation is a victory in and of itself. Uh, bringing light to this and, and getting some exposure is a victory because it was never talked about even just a couple of years ago. So even if, you know, the, the elections don't go our way or we don't get somebody out of office or something like that, just starting the conversation is sort of that first pebble in the water that starts that ripple effect and you never know how far some of those are going to go. You never know what things they're going to shear off of or hit on the way on the way out. So it, this is important. It's very important because, hey, even every every raindrop or every flood starts with one raindrop, right? <laughs> I like that. Every flood starts with one raindrop. Well, it really starts with the naked rain dance. <laughs> oh, pardon me. Pardon me. I forgot who I was talking to. <laughs> I'm, I apologize. I apologize. The devil made me do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. These are examples of, of, of areas where where conservatives are starting to fight back effectively and where Tim's talking about, it starts with the conversation. It leads to a felony conviction that gets three years that no one wants to talk about in, in mainstream media. But that is examples where a small organization like Ward Scott files with a, with a very small budget can be very effective in the, in, in the cause. Well, you think about the fact that 19 of these counts uh, that they got Gillum on came from us. Uh, and that, listen, that's profound when you really think about it and thought about it that way. We changed the Florida history, really, because those, those counts and that investigation uh, was enough to kind of create enough doubt about him that he didn't become the governor. And yeah. that's huge. You know, Ron Paul used to call these things brush fires of freedom that eventually all grow together. That's a good way of saying that. Ron Paul, well, can you steal that? We'll make that ours now. That's the way you always do. You never borrow you something. Go. You always steal it. <laughs> hey, uh, the first sincerest form of flattery, right? Is copying somebody? I guess so. Now, hey, you all have a good morning. I don't want to cut off. Okay. Thank you, Tim. Thank you so much, sir. Stay online, Tim. Let me know what else you want to talk about, sir. Yes, sir. I mean, uh, I mean, Doug. I mean, Doug. I'm sorry, Tim. Thank you, sir. 
Are you there, Doug? Oh, I'm still here. I, uh, so listening to the uh, conversation about the convicted felon that's attempting to run for U.S. Congress again. Yes. Um, did I get that know, straight? Did I get uh, that straight? Did I get that straight? Oh, for I you? thought you got it straight. Yeah. Okay. The, uh, I, I just wanted to mention out in Archer, I had been involved in the in one winning election and two losing elections, and the two losing elections were eye opening uh, for someone that is uh, uh, relatively new to uh, public service and, and watching the shenanigans that happen. So, um, uh, kudos to your team for digging up early in the process, a technical possibility, because um, one of the campaigns I lost was, was to a home, uh, technically a homeless person that was, that met the, uh, on paper at, at some level qualifying requirements, but ultimately it would have been, you know, a, a lawsuit and, uh, that's a non-starter in these situations. So being able to pick at the edge of, of the carpet and look underneath and, and get into it at this stage is, is just really, really good, good work. Well, I can tell you that you, now that you brought up this homeless person, I, I've been, you know, I, was, I get a lot of calls from a lot of people who, and I was um, um, informed of this, and I was not aware of this, that Florida statute actually, and it's odd that you brought this up because it didn't have anything to do with you. We were talking about the validity of voter registration rolls. And this person told me that a homeless person could claim an address closest to the park bench he slept on, so to speak. And that would be sufficient to register him as a voter. And I haven't had time to check that statute out. But, you know, what you're saying is that somebody must have, you know, imagine that, how it can change a small town election like yours. If somebody wanted to go around, well, it's really bad ballot harvesting, isn't it? You go around and you sign up, quote unquote, the homeless guy, and you just use the address on the, on the, on the street sign above his head. You're talking about one of the keys to ballot harvesting in the states where it's legal or look the other way. Yeah, I want to check that out because I was told on good, good word yesterday that that was the case, that that is the case right now, that if we wanted to get some. And, you know, I haven't thought about this, but locally, I'm sure that uh, supervisor elections did. I'm sure they went to Grace Marketplace, um, you know, and signed up people from Grace Marketplace. And those people may or may not be felons. Right. I mean, it's pretty clear when you sign them up in the jail that there you are. But when you go out to someplace like the Grace Marketplace, which is the homeless center here, as you know, um, there's no telling what's in there. It's a mixed bag. So that's another. So with, yeah. with regard to the, you know, the voter database and there's no background check requirement and you shouldn't be. You're a citizen. You, you get to sign up. But in the age of big data, there maybe there's, some uh, catch-up uh, in, in codification that would allow and require um, the use of some technology to um, cross-check some, some things like, you know, active, active felons voting, for instance. Well, I think that what you're talking about here is something that's time to talk about. Here before, what we've realized is that these institutions are, as I say, reactive rather than proactive. So why, why isn't there a, an agency or a part of the government that when it gets all this registrated, all these registration data, um, they can run through these programs that we run through and find out? I mean, what does it take? A staff of a dozen or so working full time? Around, you know, come on. Is that a possibility? Seems, you're a data great. You're talking about data analytics, and you, you, your team did some basic data analytics and, and found some significant discrepancies. So what the question then becomes, can the state do that and become, do what we do? Why are we doing as a private sector? Why didn't the state copy us, right? It, it seems to be as the, 
steward of the voter registration database, the SOE should have tools and should be um, uh, required to to do these type of data analytics. Well, supposedly that's where the, that's where the rub that's where the rub is, Doug, because they're saying right now they're prevented from doing it by statute. It's, you know, they did. They say we weren't we weren't uh, we we're not allowed to ask Dion McGraw if she lives in that district. We're take, you have to take her at her word. So somebody else then has to find out that she doesn't live in her district. In that case, it was another citizen who got to looking and then fed that discrepancy to the public, and then this, there was it was a reaction. So I think we we've kind of located a, an Achilles heel here where maybe the statutes need to be changed. I've got to look at those statutes a little bit more because they'd seem out of whack. I mean, you know, like I say, I've always joked, you know, not half of these seriously, is that the problem with our voter registration, anybody who can make a breath on a mirror can vote. And that's not the case in any other aspect of our life. You can't drive the car, you know, all the above, all the things we've mentioned, but we can do it with voting. And so, I don't know how it is in the other states. I suspect it's the same way all over. Is it? That'd be worth looking at too. It, 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 per, it pretty much uh, what uh, the state of voter registration stewardship is, uh, from my perception, is pretty much vanilla across the country. I I don't see lots of activity anywhere that I've looked um, where there's a. Uh, a requirement to, to clean the things up. It usually happens post facto once someone once there's a a, a finger pointing and a and and something after an election. These are the some of the states. I, I well maybe Georgia did the purge before an election, but um, well, there's a couple of comments. I think on this the is the issue that we can go to go to um, our our representatives and and have them highlight this as a possibility because if there is if there is um a law on the way we need to uh, it's my opinion the law that law should be updated to be commensurate with the tools that are readily available quite frankly developed by the by the big tech companies well you know we got a couple of comments that speak to this issue and janet hunter here in facebook chat has said that homeless people and i didn't thought about this you know as homeless people therefore possibly could be registered as well in other states. There's no universal data bank. Oh. They want a universal data bank for guns, but they don't seem to want it for voters. And also Plantation Mark says that they register illegal children in schools homeless without physicals or shot records. And that's interesting. Um, anyway, you still there, Doug? Yeah, I'm here. I need to jump, uh, Ward. I, Thank you I, for calling, sir. I appreciate what, what you guys are doing there and keep up the good work. Thank you for calling Happy in. Wednesday. Okay, that's from uh, a good buddy who used to be the commissioner down in Archer, uh, uh, Commissioner Doug Jones, who was a data analyst, a top-of-the-line deal here. He does, as I understand it, for the medical. Okay, good. Hello, Robert. Hello, Robert. Hello, Ward. How you doing? Hey, Robert. It's great to hear from you, sir. I was uh, one. I want to thank Kim and Doug for their insight. And uh, I uh, last night they had the joint meeting between the city of Alachua and the county. And I, of course, I'm no longer on the commission. But uh, two questions I recommend to be posed to the commission to have them go on record is individuals state their reasonings for or against single member districts, which we know that will be a tap dance answer for them. But also when they complain about the state and the home rule, especially about the uh, ballot issue come up in November, uh, to ask them, so you're so upset about home rule, what about the home rule of the county having to do with the uh, nine municipalities in Alachua? I was just going to pose those questions because I, would, I just thought it would be nice for them or in uh, informative for them to go on record before our commission and then of course it'd be recorded. I don't know the results or if anybody brought that up. I did suggest that be brought up by one of the commissioners, but I'm not sure 
if that commissioner did or not. So, man, that's just my two cents worth, and I, I appreciate your uh, your information. I keep – you see, I'm still following you from over here in St. Augustine, so – and I appreciate the work you, you did. We'll get you on sometime by Zoom, possibly, and um, Robert Wilford was the Alachua uh, City Commissioner, a really fine one in my humble estimation, and I want to check into what uh, Robert just asked, if the ask question was asked. I doubt it was. And uh, but I want to I want to look into it. Thanks so much. Are you still on the line, Robert? Yeah, I'm still there. I, I you know I would have been bold enough to ask. I mean, I've uh, when we had two former commissioners, I called them to pass a couple of times, and I won't mention any names, but you mention them all the time. But uh, <laughs> it's like when one of the elections, when one of the elections was 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 uh, washed out because of those people signing up and closing it to other candidates. I think one of the commissioners would have lost his election back several years ago. But uh, you know who I'm talking about, so I'll let, I'll let you be the, the, the <laughs> purveyor of uh, good or bad news. Uh, but I appreciate what you do, Ward. And like I said, I, I'll, I'll keep following you, brother. Thank you, Robert. Thank you so much. And one of these days, I've been always meant to have Robert on as a guest here while he was uh, as Alachua City Commissioner. But uh, he is retired and he's living a good life in St. Augustine, as I understand it, and is a well-deserved uh, retirement. So, um, but I always counted him as one of the guys on the commission who uh, really, really would, could say it and support it and would say it um, and let the chips fall where they may. So many people are, you know, afraid if they do one thing, they'll alienate one group. And if they alienate that group, they'll this, that, one another. They just don't do the right thing or ask the right questions. So, um, uh, that is that is uh, well appreciated. I, I do want to check in, into that and find out if that question was asked. That gives me a good a good reason to contact a couple of people. We've been talking with some really fine people calling in today, and I'm really pleased if you will note that these are all former uh, commissioners or current commissioners. Uh, and that is one of the ways to use the Ward Scott files as a commission candidate. And you know, hey, uh, the thin-skinned water boy can call in anytime he wants to. I am an equal opportunity critic and equal opportunity uh, appraiser. Uh, if, you're, if you're doing good things and you're going to get a credit for it in the class, and if you're doing things you need to improve, uh, you'll need to be reminded of it. So, But oddly enough, we don't have any liberal commissioners call in. I invite them to. Um, and uh, as I say, Cornell and the, and, and the rest are able, you know, anytime they want to come in and express their point of view, that's fine. Um, um, I'll be glad to have them on. Uh, this is a forum for the community, and, and you need to hear all sides of the issue. And we're labeled conservative, but I don't think I'm conservative. I'm just a critical thinker who, when I examine the tools of critical thinking to some of the statements, uh, they don't pass them, uh, muster. So um, that's really basically all it is. I mean, uh, you know, Kim Barton, for example, right now I'm giving very good grades to. Uh, she started out doing very poorly in class, and now she's doing much better in in terms of my my metaphor, uh, uh, if you will. So, um, so that's the way. And, and, and the same holds for me. I mean, that's why I appreciate the call-ins. That's why uh, uh, I, I appreciate um, the feedback because, I mean, I want to get it right. And I appreciate Tim Martin uh, calling in and saying I had it backwards on the Electoral College. I, and uh, that's greatly appreciated. I learned right away what he was talking about. And... Uh, um, that that's the way I like to I like to conduct our conversations. So uh, we're down to the end of the wire here. I really appreciate everybody uh, tagging in today, and um, we'll we'll be back hopefully with a good class uh, uh, tomorrow. So have a great day. Warthog Command Center out. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second generation family owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers.
flew back from Miami in a Trump rally. Man, he took the crowd by storm. Because he's not an office, it's a tragedy. Cause Biden's doing so much harm. We look like the USSR now. We're back in the USSR now. Back in the USSR.